Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with the head of the Ohio Association of Food Banks. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend has segments about the impeachment of former President Donald Trump, foster care, and the pandemic. In the second half hour, I'll talk with Tony Wells about a project called Neighbor Relief. And I'll wrap up the hour with Dwayne Casares, CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me is Lisa Hamler-Fugit, who is the Executive Director of the Ohio Association of Food Banks. How are you? Good. So good to talk to you, Dave. Nice to talk to you. Tell us about the Association of Food Banks. How big are you? What do you do? We represent the 12 Feeding America food banks and supply food funding, training, and technical assistance to a network of 3,500 member charities. We are Ohio's largest charitable response to hunger. This has obviously been as challenging a year as any, uh, at least 2020 was. Now we're starting into 2021. Uh, How are things going with the food banks? We are continuing to see record demand um, for more emergency and supplemental food assistance as more individuals and families who um, many have lost their jobs and thought that those would be temporary job losses that have now become permanent. Uh, A lot of folks who have had to leave the workforce because of being in uh, compromised health conditions and uh, more families who are struggling with kids being home from school due to remote learning. So again, the most basic of all human need, the access to healthy, wholesome food continues to be at at record demand. You know, I wanted to ask you about the, uh, the school lunch program. That must be really chaotic with the way that schools, some of them are in session, some of them aren't. It is, and and here again, um, part of the the, uh, initial COVID relief package way back uh, early last year provided for the issuance of what we called pandemic uh, EBT, or it was the replacement of those missing school lunch and breakfast programs into an electronic benefits transfer card where families whose children normally would have gotten those meals could then redeem those for groceries. Uh, Ohio is moving forward on a second issuance, which we're really excited about, um, that will allow for those families whose kids are either in a hybrid model or completely remote learning to be able to secure additional food. And again, really want to give a huge shout out to the Ohio Department of Education and the Ohio Department of Job and Families Services who have worked in concert with the United States Department of Agriculture to exercise uh, the state's waiver authority to secure those additional benefits. going to mean a lot to hungry Ohioans, uh, Ohio's hungry families and their kids. When schools are uh, learning virtually and not in session, are the school lunch programs still running in sort of a summer-like mode or what? It's a combination, honestly, um, in the larger urban districts. What we're seeing is um, the school food service operations are continuing to do uh, meals to go that can be picked up. We've got some in rural areas where they're transporting those meals out um, to kids in rural areas. Uh, Some are using buses. It's really a combination. But again, it's gotten um, to be really difficult for a lot of these schools because of the way school food service and school lunch and school breakfast programs are financed at the federal level. 
uh, those operations have to be self-sustaining within the school. So it's created some economic hardships, not only on the families, but also on the school districts as well. And again, it's through the commitment of really solid school food service workers at the local level who have made um, these efforts possible. Talking with Lisa Hamler-Fugit, she is the executive director of the Ohio Association of Food Banks. It looks like with the new numbers coming in from Department of Job and Family Services that the unemployment is uh, starting to tick up again here, which, again, is going to put even more pressure on folks like you. Yeah, we're really concerned about that. And, again, um, is it the the increase in the number of COVID cases that we're seeing? Is it that the PPP loans were just not sufficient? Again, we're seeing the permanent loss, unfortunately, of brick-and-mortar retail, uh, also restaurants and food service operations. Hospitality just is not going to recover, and those are everything from from hotel and motel rooms to large conventions um, that brought people together. So again, I mean, we we are now uh, getting ready to enter a, a month 11 of this pandemic. And for the least among us, um, they have really continued to bear the brunt of lost income overall, as well as a further risk to their health, safety, and well-being. Almost 43,000 new jobless claims filed last week. Those numbers just came out today as we speak. Last year, food pantries had switched away, many of them, from the system where folks can go in and choose what they need for their family to more of a box given to them where they didn't really have much choice. Is that still the case? Absolutely. Uh, Due to social distancing, um, through additional the loss of our senior volunteers who were really the backbone of emergency food in the state of Ohio, those that are the most at risk, have not returned in those volunteer capacities that we have moved away from our choice food pantry or shop-through model to um, boxed um, distributions, also heavily reliant, continuing to be reliant on the Ohio National Guard, who have been our boots on the ground who are continuing to do direct or mass distributions um, that are being held all over the state. And again, as we see that the unemployment data or the new jobless claims tick up, we continue to see those lines getting longer at the local level where more people are turning to us. And again, it's not just the hunger crisis that we're dealing with. Um, We're dealing with folks who are months behind in their rent or their mortgage, those who are struggling because of the loss of employer-provided health care, with health issues, uh, loss of access to prescription medications that they desperately need. And the other real phenomena that we're watching very closely, Dave, is that that this seems to have been been disproportionately hitting uh, older Ohioans who are 60-plus. We saw uh, a real uh, increase last year in requests for basic food assistance, Um, more than 18% increase just in one year of those over the age of 60. Um, We're also seeing increasing household demographics where more seniors appear to be taking in uh, minor children. 
uh, into their households as well. So Ohio is an aging population, so we need to really look at are we putting resources into this demographic um, to make sure that they've got access to food and to help them manage on basically fixed incomes or very meager retirement savings uh, or social services or social security benefits. I saw a story uh, a couple of months ago, I think it might have been in the Washington Post, that said nationally as many as 10% of the people who filed for unemployment benefits back at the beginning of the pandemic were still waiting to get benefits because of uh, you know how overwhelmed the systems were and trying to verify that they were eligible and such. And if that's the case in Ohio, that's tens of thousands of people. These um, systems were never built for this. Um, Ohio's unemployment system, like many other state systems, were antiquated uh, IT platforms. Uh, and again, they managed uh, a pretty relatively low um, caseload of those that were applying. The systems were overwhelmed. We're now seeing that there appear to have been some pretty bad actors out there who saw an opportunity to um, defraud these systems. Um, and again, these massive IT systems um, take years to build out, and they were never stressed. They were never built to handle this kind of demand. Uh, now what we need to do is to make sure that folks have enough income to be able to weather the storm at the same time making the strategic investments in education and training to make sure that folks who have been permanently unemployed because of of their uh, businesses that they once worked at have closed is that we get them the training and the skills necessary to be able to compete in what a new economy looks like. And that's going to be really important. We don't want to make the same mistakes that we made during the Great Recession. And that was where too many people who lost those jobs that were never coming back were not provided with an opportunity to train for the, the new jobs and workforces uh, of tomorrow. For people who are struggling, perhaps newly, uh, because of uh, benefits running out or, or just whatever has happened, and if they've never connected with a food pantry or any kind of a service like that, what's your advice to them? Uh, they can go online to ohiobenefits.org, and there is a coronavirus um, a page there. They can seek out local assistance. Uh, if they've lost all income, my recommendation is to go directly to ohiobenefits.gov. They can apply for SNAP benefits or food stamp benefits there. Other types of support systems, including but not limited to Medicaid, uh, as well as cash assistance is available as well if they've exhausted unemployment or may not qualify for unemployment benefits. Uh, reach out now. Again, as you said, these systems are overwhelmed. We're seeing an uptick, and uh, help is available. Don't be afraid to ask. Uh, without getting overly political, Lisa, what does it mean when an administration changes in Washington like this? Well, um, we are a nonpartisan uh, organization, but I have to tell you that um, that a longtime friend and colleague um, has uh, just been appointed to the deputy undersecretary position at the United States Department of Agriculture in Food and Nutrition. So we are extremely excited. Uh, somebody that comes from the ranks of advocacy, 
uh, will be heading up all of our federal nutrition programs, working directly with uh, Secretary Vilsack as well as part of the Biden administration. So that lear- that learning curve is not going to be there, and we're really excited that some of the policies and programming consolidation and enhancements that we've advocated for literally decades are going to be taken under consideration and potentially advanced in this uh, this new administration. So we're very, very excited. We know that with the, the Biden-Harris administration that they recognize that hunger uh, and food insecurity in the U.S. is a crisis situation, and we need a serious uh, long-term um, responses to this critical um, critical issue. With uh, the vaccines now rolling out and with them being geared toward older folks uh, in the coming weeks, are you hopeful to get some of the volunteers back? Uh, We certainly are hopeful. Uh, I know it's going to be a slow, it's going to be a slow process as as, uh, the the number of vaccines just are not there. Um, We're also looking to do whatever we can do our part, whether it's partnering with the local health departments on testing opportunities or potential mass vaccine sites, but more importantly, just the dissemination of information where people know where they can go uh, to get vaccines. Uh, we certainly are concerned that um, older populations who may not be comfortable operating in a, a technology environment, including using the web, may be left behind. I've been having this conversation a lot with folks is that just because they're eligible for vaccines, it doesn't mean that they're going to be able to sign up especially as this is a lot of web-based systems. So we all need to do our part, checking on uh, on our elderly neighbors to make sure that if they need help trying to find out where vaccines are available in their community, that you lend a helping hand and, and help them navigate the systems. And again, please go to your local health departments. Uh, the Ohio Department of Health has wonderful resources as well. And just don't forget, we're all in this together. We know that we're really, we're all tired, um, but only by following the CDC regulations and working together are we going to be able to come through this. And Lisa, if folks want to help your organization either monetarily or, or in other ways, uh, how do they do that? They can contact us uh, via the website at ohiofoodbanks.org and make a monetary contribution. We're also seeking uh, volunteers as well. Uh, we've got 12 food banks who are looking for volunteers as well as our member charities and volunteer opportunities can be found there. If they've got additional requests or have questions, they can contact us at 614 614- Two two one four three three six extension two two two, and we'll get back to him. Just leave a message. Lisa Hamler Fugit, she's the executive director of the Ohio Association of Food Banks. Always good to talk to you, Lisa. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Dave. Really appreciate it. Stay, stay safe. Be well. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Here's Tracy. The biggest story coming out of the political world and the nation, the historic second impeachment of President Trump. This decision came exactly one week after he encouraged supporters to fight back against election results. A mob of his supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol, leading to destruction and five deaths. 
10 Republicans voted to impeach. The president has denied responsibility. Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, who represents Columbus's 3rd District, says the breach at the Capitol is further evidence the president should be removed. After the impeachment vote, Senator Rob Portman sent out a statement about the upcoming trial. He said, in part, the House voted to impeach the president for his role in the events of January 6th. If the Senate proceeds with an impeachment trial, I will do my duty as a juror and listen to the cases presented by both sides. We do want to make sure you are well informed about the impeachment process, and that includes answering your questions about how it all works. Here's Evan Kosloff with our Verify team. Verify exists to curb the spread of misinformation and answer your questions. Like this one sent to us by a viewer. Can a former president be prosecuted? Let's verify. Our sources are law professors, Brian Kalt from Michigan State University and Cypher Kosh from the University of Virginia. First off, our experts say that whether or not a sitting president can be prosecuted is an open question but whether or not a former president can. All of the serious arguments that the president is immune while in office are limited to while he's in office. That's why President Nixon needed to be pardoned by President Ford if he wanted to avoid uh, prosecution, and he was. And that's why President Clinton, a day before he left office, settled the case that the special prosecutor was ready to bring against him because once he was out of office, he wouldn't have that immunity anymore. Colt explains that it gets a little trickier if someone tries to prosecute a former president for something they did in their official capacity as president. Prakash agrees. The wrinkle is, can he be prosecuted for his official acts? No one denies that he can be prosecuted for his private acts. If he shoots someone in his private capacity as president, or if he shot someone before he was president, they can prosecute him after he leaves office. So we can verify, according to our experts, a former president can be prosecuted, but there's no precedent on whether or not he can be prosecuted for things done in an official capacity as president. With your Verify, this is Evan Coslaw. To some, addiction is considered a choice. To others, it's a disease. Up next, find out why some say there's a bigger problem we're not focusing on. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Addiction, a disease to some, though it's nothing more than a choice. 10TV's Bryant Somerville explains how the problem with addiction just might be we're not listening to those it's affected. The problem with hearing is that too often it's confused with listening. Just listen. Do you want me to start like it? When I was, like, at birth, like, where it all began? Alicia Styers' story was a foundation for a life of difficulty. She was born addicted to drugs, passed on by her mother. In high school, marijuana, drinking, partying, then in her 20s, pain pills and opiates. That's when our addiction with the opiates took off real bad. She says after her children's father fell off a ladder and broke his arm, doctors gave out prescription pain pills like candy to help treat him. For Alicia, that led to bigger pills and eventually... Heroin, followed by an unforgiving downward spiral. My kid's dad went to prison, so I was stuck out here by myself, five months pregnant with Bailey. The mother of four 
with another on the way, juggled full-blown addiction while in and out of different homeless shelters. Then, she says, perhaps for the first time, someone listened. It was December 18th, 2017, and that person wore a black robe. So I kind of went in there and I told the judge that I, you know, I needed them to take my kids. That I, that to me, I felt like that's what I needed to get my life back on track. She says the court was already going to take her children. That's where they come in. A husband and a wife with a unique last name with an uncommon spelling. You don't see too many J-U-S-T-U-S's. It's just us. (laughs) Sheena and Craig Justice. Why talk to me about this today? Why, Why is this so important for you? I was in foster care when I was growing up as well. The couple fostered all four of Alicia's children, Brianna, Brooke, Dustin Jr., and Cash, ranging in ages from 5 to 12, for the next 14 months. I know very well Alicia didn't like me at first. Um, (laughs) And that was great because, you know, um, most of these stories don't turn out this way. No, they don't. But before we get to the ending, we have to back up. After the justices first became foster parents, Alicia was arrested in January of 2018 on a string of charges, including drug possession and having a man-made controlled substance. She was sentenced to nine days in jail. And that is when baby number five showed up. Within those nine days, I was detoxing off of heroin. I went into labor with Bailey. I had her. A short-lived three days in the hospital before Alicia had to leave her newborn and finish her jail sentence, forcing her to listen to her own inner voice. And when I got out of jail three days after that, I went up to the hospital, and that's when I made a promise to myself and my children that I was going to change my life and we was not going to live down that road no more. As for the newborn, Bailey, all 18 inches, 5 pounds, 6 ounces of her went to live with them. We were the ones that went up to the hospital and brought her home with us. And she lived with us for about a year. Tara and Frank Lynch say they got into fostering for the experience. They stayed for the connection. You see, Bailey, almost three now, Alicia has had custody of her and all of her children for almost two years. The Lynches, though, stayed a part of Bailey's life. In fact, that's that's her in their Zoom call during her weekly overnight stay. Bailey, what are you doing? You have a baby doll there. It's the exception, not the rule. What is it that Mr. Justice said? Stories don't turn out this way. And he's right. They normally don't. But what if? They're just my extended family now. They, yeah. they, they truly are. He, his wife, and the Lynches say maybe that's part of the problem, not investing in the solution. They're kids, and, and they're, they're us. They, they grow up and be, you know, whatever they want to be, you know, and, and the drugs and stuff, that's just holding them back and messing things up for them because it's exactly what it's doing. A support system constantly there to pick us up, to correct setbacks, and to encourage leaps forward. Um, proud as all get out of her very proud a support system to listen why stay still involved you know we jumped into this for that experience and we got kind of like shina and craig said you know we got a family out of it we it's turned into so much more than just filling in as a foster parent a support system no like a lot of people look at me like i'm crazy like when they're like well where's your kids and i'm like they're with their foster parents and people just look at me they're like you still allow them in your life? And I'm like, yes, I allow them in my life. Like, you know, because they stepped in and helped me. A family. Yes, 
We're all like a, a little family, happy little family. Do you consider yeah. yourself lucky to be able to look back on where you were, look at where we are now and see this amazing support system that you have around you? Yes. <laughs> More than lucky. <laughs> lucky, blessed, all of it. Like it's all of it in one. After completing drug court, Alicia regained full custody of her five children. She has a job working at Clean Turn, a second chance company that hires convicted felons helping to break a stigma, having the optimistic vision that a person's past does not dictate their future. She has a house and is in the process of buying a car. Arguably, most importantly, she feels and is doing better. January 13th, her three-year anniversary being clean. It's definitely worth it in the end. You just got to not give up and keep pushing forward. Words from a former addict to you, to anyone who is now where she was not long ago. Words to those struggling. I would tell them just to, to never give up. Like, I know some days you wake up in the morning and you feel like that that's all that life has to offer you, but it's not. A plea to hear her testimony and know with the will and the support behind every addiction, there is a person. A person with a story worth listening to. Brian Somerville, 10 TV News. If you'd like more information and resources, make sure to visit don'tliveindenial.org. How do we help human trafficking victims? That was the subject of a conference for prosecutors and law enforcement across the country. Attorney General Dave Yost hosted the summit to help educate those who come in contact with the victims and how to best help them. This is an opportunity to uh, learn together, but also to figure out how we can work together. And uh, it's my hope that the task forces we have operating around the state uh, are going to be equipped uh, to do more and better work uh, to, until the day comes that we can actually say that no human being is bought or sold in Ohio. And you may remember during the third week of October, more than 50 law enforcement agencies and non-governmental partners throughout Ohio collaborated on Operation Autumn Hope. That was a comprehensive effort aimed at breaking the cycle that fuels sex trafficking. Yost says agencies will take what they learned at the summit and use it in similar efforts. The Ohio Democratic Party chose a new leader. The ODP's executive committee selected elected Summit County Councilwoman Liz Walters to lead the party. She is going to replace former Chairman David Pepper, who resigned last month. U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown publicly pledged his support for her to lead the Ohio Democrats. However, the Columbus Dispatch reports the Ohio Legislative Black Caucus spoke out against the decision, calling for more diversity in the party's leadership structure. A new strain of COVID-19 is discovered in Columbus. Why? Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center pros say this is expected. Plus, we answer your questions about the COVID-19 vaccine. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Doctors found not one, but two new viral strains of the coronavirus right here in Columbus. Wexner Medical Center pros say one of the variants is similar to one found in other countries. The other is a variant we've never seen before. 10TV's Krista Frost talked with doctors who stress this is no reason to panic. 
So we've been hearing about variations of this virus popping up in places like the UK and South Africa. But doctors here at Ohio State's Wexner Medical Center actually say that they were looking for those strains of the virus when they came upon a new one. They believe this version of the virus originated from a strain already within the states. So far, they've only found one case of this, but it's not their only finding. A second variant contains three gene mutations of the virus, which they've never seen. Doctors at Wexner say they've seen about 20 cases of that second variation, leading them to think it could be more contagious. Doctors say they understand that sounds alarming, but want others to remember viruses mutate often, and this is no indication our new vaccines can't fight them. To date, we have no data that the vaccine will not be effective on these viral strains. And I want to continue to say that over and over. To date, we have no data that these viral strains will be ineffective for our current vaccines. So a question that doctors are asking is how many variations of this virus could happen and at what point will those variations have an impact on our vaccine? That's something that's going to take some time and some research to figure out. But for now, reporting in Columbus, Christopher Frost, 10 TV News. Ohio health officials tell us now they're working on second doses. 10TV's Stephanie Stanovich spoke with our local expert from Ohio Health who got that second shot. How are you feeling after your second shot? Actually, I feel great. I received my second dose of the Pfizer messenger RNA vaccine. Dr. Joseph Gastaldo got his first Pfizer shot 21 days ago and says he didn't experience any side effects. He's waiting to see how his body reacts with the second. Right now, my immune system is um, recognizing the spike protein. I'm getting a really good immune response. We're getting a lot of questions to our vaccine tracking team just from people in the community saying, well, how can I get the shot? Who do I go to? That's a great question. So we still need signals from both the federal level and the state level through the Ohio Department of Health and Governor DeWine's uh, press conference. Dr. Gustavo hopes more vaccines are brought to Ohio by the federal government. We need to have many, many options in place for people to get vaccines in their arms. We need to make it easy for people to make an appointment to get the vaccine. He says each county in the state operates differently. Another question, if you have a medical condition, do you need to show proof when it's your turn? Absolutely not. In fact, if uh, there are going to be people who don't even have a primary care physician. So uh, you do not have to have a primary care physician clear you uh, to receive the vaccine. There are some comments online showing concern with getting the vaccine if you have cosmetic fillers or Botox. Have you seen these circulating on social media and kind of what would you say to those? Yeah, I, I have seen those too on social media and there is no official warning or precaution at all related to the use of Botox or any type of cosmetic filler or cosmetic surgery. The doctor wants anyone to feel comfortable asking questions. I welcome all questions. We want people to ask questions so they can have all the information they need to make a decision, hopefully to get vaccinated. Reporting in Columbus, Stephanie Sanovich, 10 TV News. COVID-19 does not discriminate, and even if you aren't in the hospital, your fight might still be tough. And that's certainly true for Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost. He spoke one-on-one -on -one with 10TV's Lacey Crisp. Actually, it was like the wor two weeks of the worst flu I've ever had, and um, there was probably four or five days where I didn't have the energy to work. So uh, I don't know that I'd call it mild, but... Uh, Certainly not. I, I wasn't in an ICU with a tube down my throat, and my heart just goes out to the, my fellow Ohioans who have been hit really hard by this. And was, Yost was diagnosed over the holidays and says that he is still not feeling 100 percent.
Some tasty food here in Ohio arrived in Alabama. Governor DeWine fell in love with Schmidt's Bahama Mama, smoked sausages and cream puffs at the state fair, so he wagered them for this year's national championship game in a bet with Alabama's governor. And since the Buckeyes did not pull off a win, Ohio shipped those treats to Tuscaloosa. The owner says it's bittersweet. The Bahama is the official food of Columbus, so that's great too. So we know we have a, a good product, and uh, we know we got a good following here in Ohio, and uh, we're hoping to spread that into Alabama with sending them some stuff. We did ask about the logistics of shipping food during COVID, and he says it hasn't changed much. However, a lot more people are getting food sent to them. Nothing like a fresh box of cream puffs in the mail. Thank you all so much for being here with us today. And remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV. From their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Tony Wells, who's the chairman of the board of the Groundwork Group in Columbus. Uh, He's also president of the Wells Foundation. How are you? Good afternoon, Dave. I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what the Groundwork Group is. Yeah, so Groundwork Group is a local charity based here in Columbus, Ohio. They were created in 2006 uh, by the United Way and the Wells Foundation to build technology innovations for other charities. And so for those charities who can't afford uh, to hire an IT consulting firm, Groundwork Group was created as a nonprofit, serving nonprofits, and they currently provide uh, technology services to about 200 charities all across the country. Okay, and uh, we're actually going to talk about something called neighbor relief that you're involved in. Uh, What is neighbor relief? Yeah, so neighbor relief was an innovation that came out of the pandemic. And so, as you can imagine, during the pandemic, we now have tens of thousands of families right here in our own community and across the state of Ohio who've been displaced from different industries, retail, hospitality. And, um, you know, everybody needs a little help now and then. And I'm sure probably sometime in your life you had to reach out and ask a friend or a family member for a little assistance. Uh, So neighbor relief is neighbors helping neighbors. It's recognizing that uh, we have members in our community who are in temporary situations that over the next couple months, if they had a little assistance with with a rent bill, Uh, maybe a $65 utility bill, a $50 cell phone bill, that it would bring uh, stability to their family, help them focus on transitioning to the next job. And so Neighbor Relief is a technology project or a technology platform built by Groundwork Group uh, that enables other nonprofits to post stories about families in need. And um, anyone in the general public can go and read about a story and be a problem solver and take the opportunity to make a donation uh, to help a neighbor, somebody in your neighborhood, somewhere uh, around the community, somewhere across the state, um, improve the quality of life uh, during these difficult times. And there are uh, there's a, a large number of charities that are involved behind this effort, right? That is correct. So. Um, was really funded by uh, a combination of philanthropic partners, including the United Way, the Columbus Foundation, Google, the Harry C. Morris Foundation. Um, and then there is 26 nonprofits 
who are now using the technology platform as a way of lifting up their neighbors and sharing their stories and need. And uh, so it's been amazing to watch uh, since it started a couple months ago uh, how the community, uh, with a simple gift, you know, a $25 gift can really solve a problem to ensure that somebody's electric is not being turned off or that they're going to be able to stay in their apartments with their kids this month. And uh, I just saw, it was just uh, sent to me right before we rolled tape here about where the needs lie. And uh, for all the organizations providing feedback on what's happening, it looks like utilities, uh, electric and gas, uh, that alone accounts for about almost 60% of the needs. So obviously, folks having trouble keeping up with those bills. Yeah, that's right. And both of uh, our local AEP and Columbia Gas are doing a fantastic job of being flexible. But of course, utilities always become more important when you get into the winter months. And uh, yes, it is the two largest needs, I think, followed by Kroger gift cards and then telephone. It's such a, a, a complicated time because, uh, you know, many people are in need of food who maybe have never been to a food pantry and, uh, and are trying to learn that system, but at least they're aware that it's out there. And some of these other ones, when it comes to things like rent or your phone bill, those are just such unique problems that uh, I can see people getting lost in a hurry on what to do. No, you're absolutely right, Dave. And I think the the bigger problem is that I think, you know, our community and our state has always been very generous in terms of taking care of our own and donating money to charities. But if you think about most government programs which are associated with utility assistance or rent assistance, their number one criteria is that you have to be uh, below the 200% poverty line. Well, the majority of people who are now unemployed uh, because of the pandemic, actually make above 200%. And so they're going to nonprofits, and the nonprofits say, we only have funding if you are extremely poor. We have no money for you. And so uh, the neighbor relief solution is uh, an opportunity for the nonprofits to present those families that have no other avenues and um, ask the donors of those nonprofits to step up and, and take care of some of their clients. Talking with Tony Wells, chairman of the board of Groundwork Group, which is involved with neighbor relief. So uh, tell us how the how the everyday Ohioan who wants to help in something like this, how does all that work? Absolutely. I think, uh, first off, um, we all know family members that need some help right now. So uh, one way you can help is uh, to redirect other nonprofits who are trying to help other families to us so we can put them on the platform so we can help their families as well. Of course, donations are always welcome. Um, the thing I would say is even more important than the donation is that uh, when you come to the site and you learn about a family, um, and if you happen to make a donation, we have an area in there where you can put words of encouragement. If you can imagine the shame that's associated with reaching out to a church or a nonprofit and asking for help, um, You know, we've all been in that situation. We've all been unemployed. We've all needed to ask somebody for help at one time or another. So if you make a donation, make sure that you leave some words of encouragement that you hope this will be helpful and uh, you wish them the best and uh, you hope that they get through this trying time quickly. You work with uh, charities uh, all across the area, uh, nonprofits. How are they doing during this time of the pandemic? Well, as you know, most of them are struggling. We work with a lot of organizations that do events 
And on average in 2020, their fundraising was reduced by about 24% across the different charities that we work with. And um, a recent survey that was published over the summer said that of Columbus-based nonprofits, 20% of their employees have been furloughed or laid off. And so we have an unusual situation where we have uh, very high demand, and you see it illustrated by uh, the the cars and the food lines across the country, and we have 20% less people to take care of them. So that presented an opportunity to use technology and innovation as a way of solving the problem. And so we're using the neighbor relief system as a way of reducing the administrative burden on nonprofits and more and quickly get uh, donations in the hands of folks who are trying to pay their bills. Do you see uh, as possibly, uh, you know, one sort of silver lining to this pandemic, a way for nonprofits going forward to reduce expenses through office space and such, since so many people are working from home? Oh, absolutely. We're already hearing from many of the nonprofits that Groundwork Group works with that um, they're now going to go to a home-based office and use products like Zoom and Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams is available for free to nonprofits, so that's the number one solution that they use. But absolutely, this is this is going to completely change the dynamics of how the charitable community uh, interacts with um, with families in need. While we can reduce the office space, we still have got to meet with folks. Right. And a lot of uh, a lot of the, the families don't have technology. They rely solely on their smartphone as their internet device for their kids. And so that's why cell phones is one of the basic needs um, on the neighbor relief system. You mentioned uh, how their fundraising efforts have been reduced uh, by so much. And, you know, whether it's uh, like a, a ball that they hold or a luncheon every year for a big fundraiser at the convention center, when they can't do that and, and can't be seen out in, in the public, that's a problem. Oh, yeah, and it really hurts. And I would say, you know, going back to the spring of 2020, when people started converting their traditional physical galas to online, a virtual gala, you know, it was very clunky. People weren't sure what to do. By the time we got to fall of 2020, uh, fundraisers um, had to convert themselves into video production professionals. And all of a sudden in the fall, we're now seeing, you know, live bands and almost studio-produced virtual galas. And so I think this is going to change the nonprofit sector forever and probably will always be some uh, hybrid strategy moving forward. I don't think we'll ever always go back to solely a physical event. I think we're going to end up with always a combination of a virtual event and a, and a physical event. Interesting situation. Uh, talking with Tony Wells, he's chairman of the board of Groundwork Group and involved with Neighbor Relief. And uh, so the people who are being helped through Neighbor Relief, that information about them is coming through the charities that are working with them. Is that right? That is right. So um, unlike uh, GoFundMe, um, a GoFundMe page is where you go out and you present your story and you ask other people to donate to you. Um, in that case, people know who you are. Uh, but if somebody makes a gift to you, it's a gift. It's not a tax donation. And so the charities that we work with wanted to ensure that their donors were receiving the tax donation receipt. And so to do that, that means that we're sharing a story of a family, but their identity is protected and there is not a a picture of the family uh, that's on the site. But that just means that um, 
every single person on the site has been pre-qualified by a charity. So you cannot self-nominate or you can't sign yourself up and ask for public support. Only the charities representing their clients can use our system, and that ensures the level of trust and confidence by the donors who are supporting them. That's great. So, uh, Tony, if people do want to help or if they want to find out more about it, how do they do that? Yeah, go to neighborrelief.org. You will see uh, a list of people uh, who have needs in the next 10 days. So those are most urgent need. And then on the bottom of the page is a list of icons. If you click on those icons, those are organizations from, you know, uh, Clintonville Beachwall Community Resource Center to the Driven Foundation to a kid again to, you know, a wide variety of organizations who are all taking advantage of uh, this solution to try to help their families. All right. Anything else you'd like to add? No, I would just appreciate the opportunity to share with your your listeners uh, a really cool idea that started in Columbus, Ohio, as a partnership between philanthropy, nonprofit, and the business community. And uh, we're now taking it, and we have uh, nonprofits in Toledo and Cleveland and Chillicothe. And so it's great to see something start here in our own hometown that's uh, becoming a statewide success. Tony Wells again, chairman of the board of Groundwork Group and Neighbor Relief. Uh, what's that website again one more time? Uh, neighborrelief.org. Okay. Thanks so much for talking to us today. Good luck. Dave, it's my pleasure. Thank you for your support. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James. Joining me on the phone, he's back again, and he says he's always ready. It's Dwayne Casares, CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. How you doing, Dwayne? I'm not really sure ready for what, but that's... <laughs> oh, well, that's the caveat then, right? It sounds bold, and then you dig a little deeper, and there's not much there. Just don't dig any deeper, okay? <laughs> leave, leave that for us therapists, all right, Dave? <laughs> so uh, what is uh, Directions for Youth and Families? as a child. Uh, we are a uh, mental health agency, um, serve kids and family in the Columbus area, about 6,000 a year. Now we're doing a combination of telehealth. Some of our folks are, are uh, creeping back out in the field. We also have uh, two after-school centers. Um, those are learning exchange centers, and we're still serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner out of those um, to make sure that food is getting to the people in need. So this now has been going on for, what, 10 months or so? And uh, what is your read on how folks are adapting, whether they be clients uh, who are in therapy or receiving counseling or uh, members of your own staff? Yeah, you know, moving to telehealth was uh, difficult in the beginning, but I think our, our staff are troopers in being able to uh, really change and and move into just doing things through the computers. Part of that was tough because, you know, some of our clients don't have data plans that support that. Some of them did not have laptops. Um, but, uh, you know, Columbus City Schools really helped with that, or many school systems, I should say, did overall. Um, so we did, you know, make that change. Um, our after-school centers did shut down, but they are open up again. Um, that's risky, I, and uh, we did have one uh, minor breakout, so it wasn't too many people, um, fortunately. Uh, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge when you're looking at working through a pandemic, working through social justice issues. You know, we've had clients who have had uh, family members pass. Um, you know, our staff have to deal with that. 
Um, then they have their own things. We have many staff who have had, or not many, but uh, a few, um, that have had uh, uh, relatives pass or parents pass. I would be, I think today we probably have uh, uh, six staff, I think, who have tested positive right now. Um, they're not the only ones through this process. So, you know, dealing, and then on top of that, you know, we're, in our counseling programs, we've been dealing with grief. We've been dealing with, you know, survivors of sexual abuse, uh, kids in, in uh, uh, domestic violence situations. So we're not even just looking at the trauma of that. We're looking at secondary trauma. Self-care is critical during this time. Um, so it's been hard, but, uh, you know, the resiliency of people to be willing to change, ha-ha, segue, um, is really something that has to be celebrated, and I, I'm really proud of, of what our staff has been able to accomplish. Uh, the topic we are going to cover is change, uh, but before we do segue into that, I did have one other question I wanted to ask sure. you. If the vaccine works wonderfully and say by fall, things are really beginning to return to fairly normal activities. For those who have been struggling the most, who were even struggling before all this started, does that create a dangerous situation for for some folks who have big highs and low lows who all of a sudden are free to do what they used to do again? Uh, You know, I guess we'll we'll see. it's interesting because I've been more reserved I, 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 in terms of opening things back up. Um, it's my staff who have pushed me. Um, uh, they're the ones who initially wanted to go out into the community when the numbers first started to drop uh, back in June. Um, I was against it. They made their case for it, particularly talking about some of our kids that don't live in the, the healthiest situations. Um, they needed to get out to see them to make sure they were okay. Uh, we did a, a, a pilot group, and then that was supposed to be six people. It turned into 18. Um, I have to give it to my staff. It was the people who were in the trauma programs that needed to get back out to see their clients. So, you know, they've done that really well. Um, our clients, you know, I will tell you this, uh, there's something about um, uh, people who live in toxic stress community, the resiliency that they build um, and their survival skills. You know, it, it doesn't make it any easier. Um, it, it's still tough, um, but they're tough. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're really heroes throughout this process. They're probably also much more likely to celebrate the little things and appreciate getting back to some degree of normality more than a lot of other people would. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I mean, they, they are. And um, like I said, that resilience is huge. Um, that, that really speaks well for their futures as we through, choose to fight through these things and to learn from them and to grow um, through them. Um, so I, I'm optimistic, but I always am. <laughs> it's a, uh, my board always says that. Um, but, you know, it, uh, what Churchill said, I'm an optimist. I, I see no purpose in being anything other than that. I agree with that. It, it's a, uh, um, we'll get through this. I, I have hope through all of it. And um, it's not going to be without its scars. Um, those challenges we will learn from, we'll grow from them, and we'll push forward. Talking with Dwayne Casares, CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. He's also a licensed therapist. Uh, you mentioned change. That's what we were going to talk about. It is a season of change. It's actually been about a year's worth uh, of big changes. Unbelievable changes when you really think about it. And, you know, we just, you know, e- even when we look at, at uh, this past week with, with inauguration and uh, uh, a new party moving in, that's change. You know, change can be very threatening. You know, it, people believe that they're going to lose something um, 
or they think they're not going to be able to adapt to the new things. Uh, you know, it, it disrupts their daily routine sometimes. It, it threatens their level of safety and security. You know, all of these things are risky and unsettling. So people like to hang on to things uh, at normal patterns because patterns are a sense of familiarity, and in that familiarity, there's a sense of predictability, and in that sense of predictability, there's a sense of safety. Um, so it, it's, you know, almost gravitating back to that norm um, makes it a little easier. And, and it's just it's all kinds of change. Change, uh, you know, we started the new year. People make uh, New Year's resolutions, and, and uh, some of that is in a change of attitude, a change of behavior, a change of habits. Um, this isn't easy. It's tough. Yeah, the New Year's resolutions, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of them were focused on more activity, losing weight, things like that, because of the funk that everybody has been in for the last uh, 10 months. Yeah, when you start looking at things when, when like uh, like losing weight, that, that's going to require behavior change. So um, that, that's even different. We look at things from cognitive, emotional, behavioral, uh, and even spiritual. Um, those are four different dimensions. Behavior change is tough because uh, it, it, you really are going to have to disrupt your current ha- habits and at the same time um, really start new ones. Um, and that kind of a process actually takes time. Uh, we, we often will set ourselves up for failure, and that's why you see people quit so quickly. More big changes will be coming, too. When society begins to return to normal, you're going back to the workplace maybe for the first time in a year by then, and that's going to be a, a whole new way to adapt. And some may not go back. You know, I, I, I know that uh, I'm not alone in um, really looking at do all of my people actually need to work out of an office? Do I need to have four buildings? Do I need to, you know, pay for these things that I may not need? So um, that's certainly true. And um, I think all of us will have to adjust to that. And then there's positive changes, too. Like, we haven't stopped working. So our Ohio Avenue Center, um, there will be a, a new change. We uh, um, ended up getting a wonderful funder who is going to support us. Uh, um, we are changing one of our big, big rooms into a one of those uh, Ninja Warrior, uh, uh, I don't know, routes or whatever those things are that you would call that. Um, so I think when the kids come back, they're going to be so excited to see this whole new thing that, that they get to try out. So that's a change even for that. It's uh, it's new. It's fresh. It, it's And those things can be exciting. So um, I think often when we look at change, we look at negatives. There's positive things that come from change as well. Another big uh, change, a positive one that happened uh, this month was the beginning of the domination of the Browns over the Steelers. Okay. Um, it was nice talking to you all, you <laughs> listeners. They, uh, <laughs> Dave, don't. Just don't. Uh, this is going to change our relationship, Dave. Uh, we will. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was difficult. But, um, but the Steelers will change from that and go back to You know what? When you guys get six rings, then come back and talk to me. <laughs> oh, okay. Although the Steelers have lost more Super Bowls than the Browns have. So, you know. <laughs> Only two. We won the other six. Days. We've never lost in the Super Bowl. Never. Yes, you got to get there to lose one. <laughs> Not the point. Uh, talking with uh, Dwayne Casara, CEO, Directions for Youth and Families. Case you didn't mention, we, um, uh, it was a change that we beat Clemson. Oh, there you go. Absolutely. Uh, which was different from all the other times that we played them. And three of those losses I was at. So uh, I, I think what I take from this is I just can't go anymore because uh, I couldn't <laughs> go this year if we won. <laughs> you mentioned uh, the political change as well. People are, are so much more 
involved mentally with politics these days, that that's a bigger deal than it used to be, I'm sure. Yeah, and you know, I, I even think with this pandemic, a lot of people being at home, um, you could get more ingrained into it. And, you know, social media is just taken off, and all the messaging we get from that, uh, I, I mean, all of that. And, and look at that. Um, look at the fear that some of that creates. Look at some of the, like, the hate that that has created. Um, the, people are afraid of losing something, you know, they, so they're going to do everything they can to hang on to it. That's all a part of change. Um, and, and people don't want that change to occur. Uh, they they want to keep their status quo, even though it may be based on some things that aren't actually factual. And more than ever now, these days, that is weaving its way into family relationships. And, and it seems like it's really important right now for the country, the leadership, for people at all levels, right down to the family level, to try to make an effort to change the, the way we, we view each other and think about each other. Yeah, well, even just look at that. So in mental health, we always talk about your uh, support system because healthy support systems help us get through things and, and help us get through change. Uh, you know, addiction, you've got to have a huge support system. Well, now some of those support systems are fractured. Uh, some of them have been pulled apart. Some of them um, have divided. Uh, and, and so that's a change. And, and you got to adjust to that. Um, and, and that's tough. Talking with Dwayne Casara, CEO, Directions for Youth and Families. So some of these changes obviously are easier than others, but for the tough ones, how do you do it? You know, part of it, you don't want to set yourself up for failures, and often often we do that. Um, so, you know, you, you have to adjust your expectations. Don't expect to... Uh, uh, um, and, you know, pull off some type of miracle. It's just uh, uh, um, it, 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 when you start setting yourself up for failure, oh, I expected to lose, you know, 10 pounds within the first month and I didn't, so screw it. Well, you know, that's just not going to get you where you need to go. You have to change, you know, your language around these things, too. Um, instead of saying, you know, like trying to lose weight is so hard, um, you can say, you know, I'm making a great effort to get healthier uh, and take better care of myself, which is a total, total different thing. And that I can do this and I know it's going to take time. That's a total different, it's almost like the self-messages that we give ourselves. I think you have to celebrate uh, the, the um, progress that you're making, whether, you know, it, uh, no matter how small it is. Um, even just celebrate, if you're status quo, that you're sticking with your game plan. You know, I, I didn't think that I'd be able to do this, and I feel great. I know I can do this now, and I know your support system. It's often good to find somebody who's actually gone through the change um, that can relate to it because they can be encouraging. Um, it also gives you hope about uh, uh, that this actually can work or, or, or you can make it. So it's that whole support network again um, to use uh, and, um, you know, buddy up with somebody who might be going through the same type of change and you use each other in a sense of social pressure to uh, keep each other uh, moving forward. So um, these are a lot of things that you can just do to tweak and, and they're not huge things, uh, but the combination of all of them, I, I think it makes it more helpful that you're going to be successful. It's amazing how much uh, so much of that is tied into self-esteem. Yeah, your self-esteem, your self-worth, your self-efficacy, um, all of these things do break down. And, and, and that's why it's important just to make it into tiny steps. Uh, you're not going to change, like, your self-esteem, you know, overnight. Um, but you're not going to change it at all if you don't start with the baby steps. Dwayne Casares, again, CEO, Directions for Youth and Families. If folks want more info about your agency, Dwayne, where do they find it? Uh, they can check us out on the web at dfyf.org if you want to access any of our services, which for the most part are all free. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Dwayne. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Dave.
This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.